You're listening to the Assembly Call IU Podcast and Post Game Show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Activate your free Assembly Call membership today at assemblycall.com slash join. That's assemblycall.com slash join. That is how you're a champion. It really is. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, brought to you by HoosierProud.com. I'm your host, Jared Morris. Excited to talk some IU basketball this week with you and with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, my co-hosts on the Assembly Call IU postgame show, which you can listen to live immediately after every IU basketball game at assemblycall.com. And if you can't listen live, no worries. Just search for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts, and you will find us. Well, I'll begin this week's show as we begin every post-game show, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment, the moment during the past week that most strongly suggested that Indiana's on the right path to hanging banner number six from the rafters in Simon Scott Assembly Hall. And once again, we only had one game, and it was just one game against a cupcake as the Hoosiers played Houston Baptist at home. And so there's never a lot that we can take from those games. But there was a moment in the second half that was encouraging because I thought Indiana came out at the beginning of the second half and really didn't play very well. Um, they turned it over, I think, you know, six times in the first four minutes. Uh, you know, Houston Baptist actually missed a couple of wide-open layups that would have brought them a little bit closer. And you could tell Tom Crean was not happy with how the Hoosiers were playing. Took a timeout, was upset, and it was one of those timeouts, those huddles, where he actually stepped back and turned it over to James Blackman Jr. And Blackman kind of led the huddle. And Indiana would proceed to go on an 8-0 run led by Blackman, who actually up until that point hadn't played all that well. And it seemed like getting that opportunity for leadership kind of lit a fire under him. And I think it was just a good moment to see a coach in sync with his team. And certainly uh, in the past with IU basketball, we've seen some of those cream timeouts uh, and the team not respond quite as well. But I think over the last couple of years, we've seen Indiana really respond a lot better uh, in those situations. And that was another example of that. Uh, And I was quite encouraged by that. So that was my banner moment. And now let me introduce my esteemed co-host. To my left, we have the host of Bracketology.fm and the world's number one ranked bracketologist, according to Bracketmatrix.com. He is also the proud president of the Robert Johnson Fan Club. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, welcome. And what was your bottoms line from the past week in IU basketball? Well, certainly a good week for the brand of the Robert Johnson fan club. He played uh, he played really well against Houston Baptist in that one game. Had 16 points, uh, five rebounds, and uh, kept you from getting your bold prediction right. So all around, you know, solid performance from him. Uh, you know, I thought overall, as you said, there's not always a lot we can take from these games. But I think if you look at in front of them and say, what do we want to get out of this? I think you want to see a couple things. You want to see a lot of guys get playing time. You want to see a lot of guys be able to build confidence. And you don't want to, you know, kind of overextend your starters and the guys that you're counting on to play a lot of minutes. And then for that game, I think they accomplished that. You know, eight guys had at least eight points. Um, I think nine guys or uh, ten guys played at least nine minutes, and, and nobody played more than 27. So I think when you look at it from that standpoint, uh, definitely a success. Obviously, the scoreboard, uh, you know, lit up, and, and the team really had a huge second half offensively. But uh, to me, most importantly, you saw guys like Curtis Jones be able to uh, hopefully build some confidence. Freddie McSwain had some really nice moments. Devontae Green played his best game in a while. Uh, and so I think being able to build off of that becomes helpful for those guys later on. 
uh, and you didn't rest anybody else. Nobody else got hurt. And so, um, you know, to me, that's, that was the biggest takeaway. A lot of positives for a lot of different guys. Um, and we're able to get minutes to people, which I think is, uh, just about as much as you can ask for in a game like that. And to my right, we have a man who believes Adore Jackson should have won the Heisman Trophy, a columnist for TheBigLead.com, and an IU basketball analyst who has vowed never to leak sensitive game plan information to IU opponents. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, welcome. And what is your rant from the past week well, in IU basketball? Well, two things first. Uh, Adore Jackson was robbed. And number two, uh, I, I never said I would never leak information. I said I would never leak information unless I was getting paid. So... <laughs> Let's let's be uh, let's be clear here with this. Uh, you know, I think that the biggest news this week, and we're going to talk about this in the next segment, is uh, OG Ananobi will play Saturday, and he's healthy, and that ankle is he's ready to go. And I think that dovetails into the fact that I think that Indiana's come through this stretch of the season, this early season, uh, you know, non-conference slate against some tough teams with Kansas and, and North Carolina in there, relatively healthy. They're eight and one. Uh, played nine games, and other than Colin Hartman now, who we knew we were probably going to be missing for most, at least most of the season, uh, the team has come through healthy, and and guys look like they're playing well. You had James Blackman Jr. miss a game, and OG has missed a couple of games, but now heading into Butler, which is a huge game for this program, and you know it's a huge game in the state too. People are going to be glued to this one. Uh, two very you know, good teams and two ranked teams and Indiana's going to that game with 10 guys averaging more than 10 minutes a game and healthy. Um, that's impressive. Uh, and, and, and the fact that they've been able to come through and, and take some punches from some good teams and, you know, maybe play down to the competition of some bad teams, but come through it unscathed and come through it with wins other than Fort Wayne, uh, is a real positive at this point They're, They haven't dropped a game, uh, where they were just outgunned or outmanned against the big teams. They didn't show up the way they should have to Fort Wayne, but they came out from that, have gotten better, have sort of rewrited the ship, and now they're heading healthy, essentially, into a game against Butler. So I think that's, that's a real positive to come through nine games and, uh, and really seem like you've got your team together and the core running well together. Absolutely. All right. Well, we have a great show planned for you this week. As Ryan mentioned, we are going to discuss the return of OG Ananobi to Indiana's lineup. Then we will take a deep dive into Indiana's matchup against Butler in tomorrow's Crossroads Classic. Then we'll take a look around the Big Ten, which has had a relatively rough start to the season thus far. We'll look at that. And we will close, as always, with our bold predictions for the upcoming week, which should be a little bit more fun this week because there's actually a good game on the schedule with the Hoosiers facing Butler. All of that on this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. But first, I do want to take a quick second and tell you about our presenting sponsor, HoosierProud.com. If you consider yourself a Hoosier, and not just an IU Hoosier, but someone who is proud to have roots in the great state of Indiana, then you need to check out HoosierProud.com. Where they offer a line of t-shirts and accessories that are unmatched for anyone who wants a unique, stylish way to display their pride in being a Hoosier. In fact, we like their product so much that we moved production of our Assembly Call logo t-shirts to Hoosier Proud because they produce high-quality work, care about their customers, and take pride in their Indiana roots like we do. Check them out at HoosierProud.com and use the promo code AC to receive a 15% discount on your entire order. That's promo code AC to receive 15% off at HoosierProud.com. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And guys, let's talk about the return of OG Ananobi. When he first sprained his ankle uh, you know, on that kind of innocent-looking play in the North Carolina game where he went up for a dunk, comes down, and you know, his ankle just kind of rolls on him, 
none of us were quite sure how long he would be out. My initial reaction was I felt he would be out for a while, uh, and I think the most optimistic prognosis was that he would be back for Butler. And here he is, ready to play against Butler. Andy, as you look at this, is it possible that OG and his ability to play is the difference between Indiana winning and losing this game on Saturday? Uh, I mean, I think you could look at it that way. For me, what he allows IU to do is just that versatility that he brings and, and what they can do from a lineup perspective. Um, you know, I think we saw with him out that they, they played uh, almost exclusively, you know, three guard uh, looks, uh, even even if that meant having uh, Curtis Jones, Devontae Green play a little bit more. Uh, but I think, you know, his presence, you know, Butler has a pretty, while they don't have a ton of size, you know, kind of on average across the front line, uh, they don't really have anybody smaller than six, seven that plays. So if you want to play uh, three guards with that, that puts Robert Johnson in a position to, you know, guard a guy like Keelan Martin, which is a matchup I think he can handle, um, but one that's certainly a little more challenging. So I think it gives IU the option to, if they want to play a little bit bigger, they could play OG and, and Thomas and Juwan or uh, and go with that kind of look, or they could play OG at the four. Uh, and and go with three guard lineup that they've had. So I think it just you know makes Butler prepare for a lot of different things, and I think gives IU the ability to give some different looks uh, over the course of that game. Uh, I don't know that you know I don't see any scenario where IU could uh, you know wouldn't win the game uh, if he wasn't out there. But he certainly helps because it's another you know trusted player out there. You would be a lot more reliant on guys like um, Zach McRoberts and some of the freshmen if he wasn't back. So I think versatility and. Uh, Quite honestly, just having another guy you know you can trust out there is going to be big. And, and how many minutes he's able to play remains to be seen. Uh, but I think just having him there uh, gives Butler somebody else to really have to account for on the offensive end. All right, Ryan, what is it? You've got the Ryan Phillips grin on your face. <laughs> so what is it? Well, uh, for those of you who listened to our postgame show after the North Carolina game, I said I did not think it looked that bad. Uh, I thought it was clearly a sprained ankle and it was going to be an issue. And I also said I would be shocked if he wasn't back for the Butler game. So I just want everybody out there to know, yet again, I called it. That should have been my bold prediction, quite frankly, but we, we know how that went. Uh but no, I, I think it's, it's great that he's back. Obviously, uh, he's especially since North Carolina was probably the best game he's played this year uh, from an all around standpoint. And, you know, he did that and you lose him right after. So that was kind of uh, a blow to the gut for the team. But they obviously made the right decision holding him as long as they did. And it looked like he probably against Houston Baptist could have played, but there was no reason to to send him out there. As far as some observers said in warmups, he looked fine. Uh, but obviously it was worth taking the time. We'll see about his minute. If there's a minutes restriction or anything on him for Butler, I doubt there would be because it's a big game. Um, you know, and if there is, they may not hold to it depending on how the flow of the game is. Yeah, but but, but you have um, to wonder how his conditioning will be coming back, so don't that's you? That's true. I mean, no, I, I I agree. I think that that's the that's the question: Is there going to be a minutes restriction? Is uh, has he been out long enough where it's really bothering him uh, to to go up and down like that, especially with the way Indiana plays? That said, I think if it's a bit if it's a tight game and it's the heat of the moment, they're probably not going to hold him back. They're just going to let him go and maybe let him rest after. Um, that would just be my assumption. Uh, of course, I don't have an insight in, uh, into how they're going to play that, but we probably won't even know until until uh, tomorrow. So uh, I think that we'll see OG playing a normal stretch. I would assume maybe a little bit lighter than than usual, but I think he'll be on the floor in crunch time. I would have to think so. It'll, I think it'll just depend on how much he can play. You know, how much he can handle, what the pace of the game is like. You know, because it may be one of those where he can't play for as extended a period as he would have been able to just because he's, you know, just now coming back. And I think anybody who's played basketball knows, you know, you 
out for a little while, you can get out of basketball shape pretty quickly. And even just practice can get you back into it, but there's something different about a game yeah. um, and getting there's, back into game dip- shape. There's a difference between running on a treadmill and running on a court in the middle of a game. There's just a difference. The adrenaline, everything like that, kicks up a notch, and you, you expend more energy than you think you're going to. So nothing can prepare you for it. Yeah, well, coming up, we are going to take a deep dive into Indiana's matchup against Butler. This is where Andy really earns his salary. Where do the Hoosiers have an advantage? Where do the dogs? That is next on the Assembly Call. Stay with us. You're listening to the Assembly Call presented by HoosierProud.com. I'm Jared Morris here talking IU hoops with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. We had a contract dispute there during the break. Ryan upset that Andy has a salary. Uh, Yeah, what the heck, man? (laughs) What the Hey, you guys working on secret deals behind no, my back? What's going on? Number one bracketologist, man. He drives a hard bargain. What are we, what are we going to do, you know? I'm a genius. <laughs> right. On that note. And apparently, and apparently a doctor, which we, <laughs> yeah. which we just realized in the last segment. So that's yes. good, too. And humble. Very humble. Well, uh, yeah, of course. All right. My humility is my greatest. <laughs> let's, all right. Let's, let's dive in to IU Butler. Uh, and... and Andy, give us give us kind of the, the bird's eye overview of this game, because I think, you know, you look at the stats and it's pretty obvious, you know, what jumps out at you is that Butler turns people over and Indiana turns it over a lot. And I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, for the Hoosiers to win this game, they're going to need to cut down on turnover some, you know, maybe down into that 16 percent range, like what we saw against Houston Baptist. What else do you look at as being determining factors in this game on Saturday? I think tempo is a big one. Um, when you look at just average possession length, um, offensively, Butler ranks 220th. Uh, when you look at Ken Palm, IU actually is 108, which is, is somewhat surprising to me. But um, I, I just think we know what kind of pace IU wants to play at. And Butler, uh, to me, obviously wants you know, very much to uh, you know slow things down, grind it out a little bit more. Uh, the, the turnovers you said are, are important. But it's, it was interesting to note when I looked through the stats that you know, while they have a really high turnover rate, they don't have a high steal percentage. So, you know, the, the turnovers that they're getting are coming off of errors that the other team's making, but they're not necessarily like live ball uh, scenarios, or at least not as much uh, as you might expect for a team that, you know, turns people over so much as a, as a contrast to say like a West Virginia who has, you know, the highest turnover rate in the country and, and forces a ton of steals. Um, they don't, they don't kind of operate in, in quite the same way. And so uh, I think those are important. And then rebounding uh, is, is a big one. You know, we looked at that going into the North Carolina game. That was kind of a, a strength on strength thing. Uh, I think if there is a place where, you know, IU could, could make some hay against Butler inside, uh, that would be one of them. They're ranked 80th in, uh, in defensive rebounding uh, percentage and I use seventh. So uh, I think definitely some opportunities there in the games that Butler has played the worst. A lot of those, um, their opponents have, you know, kind of out, out, uh, out, outdone their, you know, kind of average, um, you know, number of uh, offensive rebounds allowed. So I think that's something to look for as well. Hey, Andy, how good is Keelan Martin? I mean, compare him to guys like Kellen Dunham, Rodney Clark, you know, former uh, Butler guys. And I don't mean the kind of player they are, because obviously those guys were more of guards and he's more of a wing, but like it's star power. I mean, is this a guy who can take over a game? Is this a guy that Indiana has to game plan specifically for? Or they more just stop Butler in general. Uh, how, how good is he from top to bottom? Uh, I think they want to, he's very good. And, you know, he, he really came on last year and their last game, they moved him and brought him off the bench again, which is a role he played really well in a year ago. But even 
you know, this year he's double figures in every game. He scored at least 24 times already, but against Indiana state, he just shot really poorly. Uh, in some of those cases, I think it was, you know, kind of quick shots that weren't, uh, you know, necessarily the, the shots that Butler wanted, just some, some quick ones that he took. I mean, he was four for 15 from the floor in that game. Um, but he, and, and he, when we talk about advanced stats, I mean, usage rate, I mean, he's using almost a third of their possessions when he's on the floor. So, um, it probably a guy who is going to get his at some point during the game. You got to make that difficult, uh, really make him work for it. I think I, you can put, give him some different defensive looks. Talked about that a little bit earlier where you might see Robert Johnson on him who a little bit smaller guy, but, uh, you know, really active and, and can get up and pressure him when he plays on the outside. And then you've got guys like OG and Juwan who you could put on him uh, with some length that'll that'll make it a little bit tougher for him if he wants to go inside. So he, um, you, you know, he's he's shot almost the same number of twos and threes, so 76 twos and 63 uh, three-pointers. Doesn't shoot it well as well from deep. Um, so for me, if they can get him, you know, kind of play on the outside, but, you know, does have the ability to put the ball on the floor, uh, try to get to the basket and got into the free throw line 46 times. So he's definitely a guy you got a game plan for. I don't know that if you looked and he has 20 points at the end of the game though, I wouldn't say that's a, a way that IU that is a sign that IU is not going to win the game. I think it's, um, you know, how efficient he is in getting his points. And if they can make him inefficient, uh, as Indiana state was able to do, then I, I like IU's chances cause he's going to take shots. Um, his usage rate certainly suggests that. Well, he's, uh, you know, I'm looking at, it, he's 42% from the field. What, what do you recommend as the way to stop him? Do you make him turn him into a jump shooter or, or do you want him handling the ball more? I mean, what, what would you, how would you game plan it if you were Crane to, to, to slow him down and maybe in turn slow the entire offense down? Cause he's the only guy other than uh, he's only one of two guys. I mean, uh, averaging double figures. Yeah, it's interesting. They're pretty balanced. They've got a number of other guys who average, I think between eight and eight and nine points. So I think they've got you know four other guys who average actually between eight and nine points. So um, they've got other guys that can beat you. I think, you know, to me is, is try to keep him on the perimeter, uh, make him make those kinds of shots um, and shoot, you know, shoot over the top of you that way. Um, Butler doesn't want to shoot a ton of threes. I know even listening to uh, an interview that uh, that Kent Sterling did with one of the Butler assistants this week, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, they felt like at times they have settled for too many threes. So they really want to try to get to the free throw line, want to get the ball uh, inside. So I think if you can force him to play out there uh, and at least make a few shots early, uh, then I think that's that's the way to go. And then make sure you got help if he, you know, starts getting to the rim. But I think IU's got enough uh, good defenders that they can throw at him uh, among the guys that I mentioned, even like a Zach McRoberts, just to kind of get up and pester him a little bit. Um, should he, should he play that? Uh, I think they can, they can be effective by, you know, just harassing him throughout the game, but uh, he's certainly going to have the ball in his hands. I don't think you can really deny him uh, that it's going to happen to just, you know, try to force him to take tough shots on the perimeter, whether that's threes or long twos. You're listening to the assembly call presented by HoosierProud.com. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips pre previewing IU Butler. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you look at Martin uh, and you look at some of the Ken Palm numbers and, you know, he has an offensive rating of 104. And Andy, like you said, he's using 31 percent of possessions. And, and otherwise, I mean, Butler doesn't have another guy using more than 20. You know, a lot of balance, uh, you know, a lot of guys down there in the 16 to 20 percent range. And I'm curious, Andy, you know, you got guys like uh, Andrew Kravish, uh, you know, Tyler Lewis, Tyler Weidman, Avery. Woodson, all with offensive ratings in the 120 range, which is a really good number. Uh, you know, none of those guys using a lot of possessions, but they've been really efficient. Is that a case of those guys being used as they should be and with more usage, you know, their efficiency might not hold up? Or is one of those guys, you know, a potential, uh, you know, guy that could really burn Indiana that Indiana really needs to pay attention to and not let go off? Uh, I think for the most part, they, they really 
you know, play certain roles. You know, Woodson is a shooter. He's taken 55 threes and 18 twos. So he's just going to stand there uh, and try to be the recipient of, of passes and shoot threes. So in that regard, I don't know that they want him using more than he already is. Uh, Weidman's a guy who's a really good rebounder uh, on both the offensive and defensive end and gets some of his baskets from putbacks and things like that. They don't run a ton of stuff to just get him post-ups inside. Uh, you know, Shrabbits and, and Lewis are the ones that are interesting to me. Uh, you know, Shrabbits is a, a six, seven guy. I'm sure people will throw out the, like, you know, the old man game YMCA type, uh, comparisons, but he's interesting that, you know, he's second on the team in assists and they really put the ball in his hands a lot. Um, and IU really has to do a good job of not falling for some of the, you know, ball fakes and pivots and other moves he has inside. He's got a wide you know range of those, which he kind of has to, to play, uh, inside at six, seven. Um, so he's kind of, you know, crafty. Uh, I guess is what a lot of people would say, but he's really important for them because they run a lot of offensive sets through him. So uh, it becomes interesting. We, again, we kind of talked about what happens with OG. He might be an interesting matchup for Shrabbits who can really kind of harass him, uh, make things difficult for him because I don't know that, you know, Thomas Bryant is a guy you want out, you know, guarding Shrabbits on the perimeter uh, where he has made some threes over the course of the year. And then Lewis, um, you know, they run a ton of high ball screens, at least in the games of theirs that I've watched. And so he usually is initiating the offense with that. A really good passer, uh, was a former McDonald's All-American and has, you know, kind of settled into a role, played at NC State for a little while, transferred to to Butler. Um, you know, but he's dishing out five assists a game, really high assist rate. Uh, he's got at least four assists in eight of the ten games. And, um, you know, he shoots the ball really well. You know, he just picks his spots. Um and so he's a guy that if you leave open, he's not afraid to shoot, but he wants to get others involved first. And so, you know, as you start to figure out, you know, he's really one of the guys that makes it go. And if you could somehow get him into foul trouble by really driving the ball at him early uh, and get him into some foul trouble, I think that has a huge impact on Butler's offense because he's so important. Um, you could probably make the same argument if you got he or or Shravitz there. So while Martin uses a lot of possessions, um, the guys who tend to initiate the offense are, are Lewis and Travis. So I think those are the other two guys that you really want to watch. Um, not necessarily even from a scoring perspective, but you start seeing those guys having a lot of assists. Uh, it's probably a sign that they're, you know, making IU's defense react and, and creating open shots for others. How do you think this matchup projects for Thomas Bryant, who has played really well, but only taken a total of four shots the last couple games? I would expect that to increase on Saturday. Yeah, I, I would think this feels like a game where IU really tries to force feed it to him in, in ways that, you know, we, we lamented after the Houston Baptist game and some of these other games against the cupcake teams that they haven't gotten him the ball enough. Um, but we also hit, you know, touched on the fact that there have been games where, you know, they really did try to force feed it to him uh, at, at times. And so I think this becomes one of those. Butler does not have a ton of size, does not have a ton of uh, established front court depth. So if you can get Weidman uh, into foul trouble, you know, then they're turning to, to Nate Fowler, who's a six ten guy, um, but only a sophomore and really, you know, is a decent player, but not used to playing a ton of minutes, plays about 10 minutes a game. You got Joey Brunk, who's a freshman uh, from Indiana as well, who's six eleven, got some good size, but you know, not a great matchup. So if you can find ways to, to get him involved, I think that's important. Uh, what we may likely see though, is, you know, Butler really trying to double team him. So uh, again, it may be a case of he's got to pick his spots of when he wants to be more selfish and when he wants to get other guys involved. But definitely feels like a game where you really got to test the waters, put pressure on Butler uh, inside because, you know, Bryant should have the ability to shoot over anybody who's guarding him at that point. And, and when you start to think about, you know, defensively what what they've done, you know, Butler's defense has been far better against three pointers than two pointers. Uh, so they're kind of middle of the pack against two. So if you can get the ball inside, there's not really a shot blocker there to challenge. Uh, so I think we'll see a, a heavy dose of Bryant early. Yeah, I if mean, they're double, if, I'm, I'm going to cut in real quick. If uh, if they're doubling 
Bryant, I would expect to see some sets with Deron Davis in there with Bryant as well, especially if they can just completely outsize Butler inside. I mean, we've seen a little bit of that so far, but particularly with Ananobi, you know, maybe not at 100%. Um, I, I think that would be a, a really good time to to maybe pull Bryant out on the perimeter and go inside Davis and, and maybe switch that a little too, because it seems like they're really willing when Davis is in there to give him a chance in the post. Yeah, I think it's it's it'll be interesting to see kind of who forces who to match up. You know, if IU doesn't feel comfortable doing that because they don't want to get, uh, you know, get get one of those two guys, you know, kind of having to guard people on the perimeter, or whether you kind of force that and and force Butler to try to react inside. So that's definitely something to watch as as you just start looking at you know general size disparity. Uh, IU definitely has an advantage in that area, and like I said, I think on the boards is one place that could come up, but also just in you know kind of offensive flow would be another. Do you want to make an official prediction, Andy, for who's going to win this one? Uh, I I like IU's chances. Um, I, I think they, uh, I think the rebounding becomes big. I, they're going to turn the ball over. I think anybody who's watched this team as long as as we have these last few years and and doing this is probably foolish to think they're not going to make some mistakes here and there. Um, but I do think they've got you know enough enough weapons to give Butler trouble. Uh, Butler really had some trouble containing dribble penetration, particularly in that Indiana State game. And so I think you can see guys like Robert Johnson and even Josh Newkirk try to really get into the teeth of the defense and make plays. Some cases that might lead to turnovers, but I think in general uh, we'll be able to put pressure on them and be able to get some easy baskets that way. And, and hopefully that opens up things for uh, for threes. And, and Butler's pretty aggressive on trying to you know trap on ball screens and things like that. So uh, they have really good rotations defensively. And so it's not necessarily that first pass you make. It's the pass after the pass. Uh, and if IU can do a good job of moving the ball, as they as they tend to do when the offense is really humming, uh, then I like their chances to win. All right, well, coming up, we take a look around the Big Ten. A few teams are off to good starts. Several others are not. How do the Hoosiers stack up? That's next on the Assembly Call. Stay with us. You're listening to The Assembly Call, presented by HoosierProud.com, where they offer a line of T-shirts and accessories that are unmatched for anyone who wants a unique, stylish way to display their pride in being a Hoosier. I'm Jared Morris, talking IU basketball with my co-hosts on The Assembly Call IU postgame show, Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. You can join us after every IU basketball game over at assemblycall.com and every Friday right here for Assembly Call Radio. Guys, let's jump in and talk about the Big Ten uh, a little bit. You know, we have about eight, nine, ten games now for every Big Ten team in the books. Uh, and, and with what we've seen so far, who's the favorite in the Big Ten right now? It seems like three teams kind of stand out above the others, uh, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Purdue. Uh, Ryan, who, who are you looking at right now as the favorite among those three? Well, I think nationally the the assumption is the favorite is Wisconsin um, just because of the players they have coming back from a really solid team and they're well coached. And but I honestly looking at it, I feel like Indiana is the favorite just because against the top 25, Indiana is 2-0 against top tier teams and, and really against the top three Indiana's two and O uh, with wins over North Carolina and Kansas. And the one loss was to Fort Wayne on the road in a rough environment uh, without one of their best players, no Gian and So I think that if you're looking at resume to decide that it's Indiana and, and Indiana has played its best against top teams. Um, you look Purdue's Owen two against the top 25 Wisconsin's one and two against the top 25. I mean, against top tier teams, Indiana has shown up. And I think that, above anything else is really going to help Indiana. Uh, sure. The, the Wisconsin and Purdue are right in the mix. Uh, I think Michigan state is going to turn it around. We, we, 
we've talked about this before. They always seem to just get it straight and get working right when they need to. And always at the end of the year, it seems we're talking about Michigan state is one of the hottest teams in the country. So I, I just can't doubt them right now, even though they're Owen four against the AP top 25. Um, so I, I, I would say Indiana right now, just because a they're ranked the highest B they have the two best wins in the conference and, and C they look like they're playing the best when they play the best competition. So maybe that'll change after Saturday. Um, but I, right now it's hard for me not to see Indiana as, as the expected favorite. Yeah. Andy, do you look at those teams as being clearly uh, above the pack or do you think we're making a mistake by not talking more about the Michigans and Maryland's or Ohio States or even the Spartans? No, I think to this point, there's been a fairly clear separation. I think even Purdue's interesting to look at. I, I do think they have a really good team. And the fact is they've, they've really played two games that were difficult against, you know, arguably top 10 teams. They, they happen to lose both of them. I don't know that there's any, uh, any, any harm in doing that for them, but I think it'll be really interesting to see. There's a lot of pressure on them in this Notre Dame game. Uh, you know, talking about the other game of the crossroads classic, because you know, this is really Purdue's last chance to get a, a non-conference win that actually means something. Uh, so that it means sounds a lot familiar. Them. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's how Indiana yeah. was last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indiana we were, was yeah, we, exactly we, the spot last year. Yeah, we've seen how this played out. So you know, maybe maybe a win becomes a springboard for them. But I think it's a you know again a kind of interesting matchup. We talked about you know who can make who uh, who adjusts to to who. Uh, in the IU game, I think it's a similar story uh, in, in that one as well. And so, um, y- you know, they're they're an interesting team. I think Michigan State, they've just had to play those freshmen a lot more than they thought early because they've had so many injuries. Uh, once Miles Bridges gets back, uh, I think Gavin Schilling is due back. He's not a you know great player by any means, but I think an, another veteran guy there. I think they'll be there in it by the, by the time it's all said and done. But I think they're a little bit below um, those top three. And I, I just don't know that anybody else has shown enough uh, consistency to really be considered – uh, in, in that group. And I think Wisconsin started to figure some things out. Uh, you know, lately they, they struggled uh, early against Creighton in North Carolina. And you've really seen uh, Nigel Hayes kind of, you know, change his game a little bit. He was shooting a ton of threes in those games. I think he shot five threes in the last, you know, six or seven games uh, and has really played well in more of a facilitator role. Uh, I know you and Alex Bozich had uh, Rob Doster on podcast on the brink this week, and he brought up some of the same things. And uh, I, I thought he was, you know, his points were spot on about Wisconsin and how that's really helped them. Uh, play better. And, and they've got from a scheduling perspective, a little bit of an advantage, but they do start out uh, short of a, you know, home opener against Rutgers. They do go to IU and Purdue uh, in their second two conference games. So if they drop both of those, I think that's helpful um, for IU. They've got a lot of home games early, so need to get off to a good start and, and see if they can build some momentum as they go forward. But I think those are definitely the top ones. Um, the other teams might sneak up and get somebody a, at some point, but I think I've seen enough inconsistency from the Maryland's and you know, certainly Ohio State losing to Florida Atlantic at home and, and Michigan, uh, that those don't necessarily feel like teams who are going to, you know, kind of jump up and, and be in that upper echelon of the league. You're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we're taking a look around the Big Ten. Guys, you know, you hate to talk about stuff that's kind of out of your control, like the schedule. And obviously when you're the coach or the team, you never want to talk about that because you just got to play who you play. But for those of us who try and look at it objectively, you know, the way the Big Ten schedules now with 14 teams, it's not a true round robin. The schedule really can affect the standings. I mean, when you're talking about a a one game difference, even last year, you know, Indiana finishes 15 and three, two games above the next closest team. And Indiana had a pretty favorable schedule that helped them. Now, would they have won the Big Ten either way, even with a tougher schedule? Who knows? But do you think, Ryan, take this first, you know, when we're sitting here at the end of the year, are we going to be looking back at this saying, well, you know, Wisconsin, Indiana, pretty evenly matched. You know, Wisconsin ended up with an easier schedule. You know, that kind of determined, you know, who won the Big Ten. Do you think we'll be talking about that? And is that 
fair? Uh, I, I guess it depends how it plays out. Um, it, it, you know, it's hard to project that, but Indiana lose, has four of their last five games on the road, uh, in tough environments, uh, you know, at Minnesota, Minnesota, is, Minnesota does not look like a good team, but playing at the barn is never a sure thing. That's places that, is crazy. It's always uh, a sure then, thing. It's going to be a miserable experience. Yeah. And then at Iowa, uh, which is always a tough place to play as well uh, at home against Northwestern, then at Purdue and at Ohio state to finish the season. I mean, that is a brutal stretch in four to five games. And before that they host Purdue and Michigan. So those last seven games are, are really rough. And, and, and even before that, uh, they go at Wisconsin. So there's no break in this schedule. I don't, I, I feel like, I mean, and Dean has benefited from it a few times in the past as well, but you know, this, yeah, it's a gauntlet. I, I don't know if we'll be, if, if, if it'll be a talking point at the end of the year. Um, I feel like everything's a talking point these days. So we probably will be discussing it, but you know, um, I, I do think there needs to be some kind of, of, you know, conference wide coming together and figuring out a way to make it, you know, more balanced with all these teams. And um, so, you know, so it's similar for everybody. I how don't how can you do that with the tournament? I don't though. know if there's Is a there I, even I a way. Don't know, I don't even know if there's a way to do it. Um, yeah. You know, they can do it in football, I think, because it's fewer games. But and, and typically that ends up pretty balanced in all these conferences. And there's a you know conference championship game and all that stuff to sort of even things out. But uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. When you add this many teams to your conference, you're going to run into somebody getting to play Rutgers twice and somebody having to go on the road at, you know, to a really awful, uh, environment more than they need to. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to do. And, and it's also hard to project, you know, who's going to be good, who's not down the road. So, yeah. uh, I, I think it's definitely gonna be something we'll talk about, but I, I don't know how much it's going to affect the season. All you can do if you're Indiana is take care of your own business and not worry about it. And and hopefully at the end of the season, you're in a good position. That's really all you can do. Complaining about it isn't going to get the schedule changed. Or can't we just have Rutgers play 26 games and play everybody home and home and then everybody everybody's happy, everybody's satisfied, right? Because everybody gets the home and home with Rutgers. Andy, hey, you know what? <laughs> Don't sleep on Rutgers right now, man. They're 10-1 and one on a four-game <laughs> winning streak. Andy, how much does something like that play into – you know, uh, seeding in March, you know, how much does winning the regular season big 10 title? Cause it certainly didn't seem to give Indiana a bump last year. It, it is, is a team's resume viewed independent of, you know, a, a, you know, a descriptor like big 10 regular season champion. Does that matter? Uh, not, not really. I mean, I think last year we can look and certainly, uh, you know, still feel a little, a little hurt by how that all played out. But I, you know, I think that's true. I mean, what they're looking at in the committee room is, is who you played while there's an understanding that you uh, don't really have control over who you get, you know, single and double plays within the league. Uh, things are still looked at within the, the confines of, you know, how many of these type of RPI teams did you play and how many did you beat? And if you had less opportunities than that, cause your schedule was less balanced then so be it. Um, you, you just had fewer opportunities to beat those teams. So I, I, you know, I truly don't think that that means, uh, a great deal to anybody in the committee uh, other than how you played to get there. Uh, I, I think what would be interesting is, you know, could they, could they get to a point where you do something divisionally where you try to split these up and it's, I don't know they've done a very good job in football trying to figure it out, but it's like ultimately while teams might sneak up here and there, you have a pretty good idea of who's going to be good year over year. And so how do you kind of find a way to split up the the teams that are perennially, competitive and good, get an even balance of those across a couple divisions, 
lump in everybody else and know that, yeah, it may ebb and flow. One division may be better than the next another year, but you, you know, you kind of ensure that you have, you know, double plays against your division and single plays against the other. Um, obviously with 14 teams that it ends up kind of weird where you'd play, you know, set, you know, I think it's maybe you have, it ends up being like a 19 game schedule, which is really one more than what they have now, which seems, uh, seems feasible, but at least then there's some balance that, Hey, if you won your, your side of it, you know, that you played mostly the same schedule as everybody else short of the, you know, who you played home, who you played away from the other division. I don't know. It seems like there's a better solution than whatever they're doing now, which always seems to lead to a situation like this year where Maryland, you know, only plays IU once, only plays Purdue once, only plays Wisconsin once, only plays Michigan State once, uh, and I think may only play Michigan once. I mean, Gee it's, whiz. it's it's pretty amazing. And while you can kind of chalk that up to luck of the draw, and we can kind of say, yeah, everybody everybody gets there. Um, I, you know, we've outlawed the words. It's not fair around our house with my kids, so I'm not going to come on here and say it. But um, <laughs> there's there's definitely an element of I think there's more that they could do to avoid scenarios like they have this year where it's so far uh imbalanced and and maybe this is you know a real outlier in that regard but it certainly um doesn't feel uh great i mean with maryland this this year what we've seen from them so far is that every game is going to be close almost no matter who they play so um you know they, they may or may not be able to really take advantage of that but it's it's pretty skewed i would say uh this year certainly more than most it feels like all righty Coming up in our final segment, we will take a brief, very brief look at Indiana's two opponents after Butler. Then it's time for our weekly bold predictions. That's next on the Assembly Call. Stay with us. You're listening to the Assembly Call presented by HoosierProud.com. I'm Jared Morris talking IU basketball with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips here in our final segment. Guys, let's take a quick, very quick look at Austin P and Delaware State, uh, Indiana's two opponents after the Butler game. We have this nice little oasis of Butler, and then we get two more 300 uh, or less opponents coming into Assembly Hall. So what does Indiana need to accomplish in these games, in these final tune-ups, before Big Ten schedule starts in that game against Louisville? Andy, you know anything in particular that you're going to be watching for in those games? Uh, well, I mean, the, the Austin P games gives IU a real shot at winning the uh, Ohio Valley Conference this year. So that's the third game, third team they've played from that, uh, that league. So I think we, we won the Southland a couple years ago, so this year is the Ohio Valley. So that's... Uh, obviously got big implications there. Um, I I think it's a lot of what I said in the beginning about the Houston Baptist game. I mean, you want uh, one, you don't want anybody to get hurt Two, I think you want to give the young guys some additional playing time because you're going to get into a part of the season where they're probably not going to play as much as they've been able to uh, so far this season. So you want to really be able to get them some, uh, some good time to, to play and and get out there and, and rest other guys because you know, the Big Ten is going to be a, a gauntlet for sure. And even you've got this early stretch where you play one Big Ten game and then you've got the Louisville game uh, and then and then Wisconsin right after that. So you've got, uh, you know, a really tough opening stretch. So to be able to get guys a little bit of extra rest before, you know, a day off for the holidays and, and however they want to handle that from a practice standpoint. But I think it's those kinds of things, you know, trying not to get into, you know, some of the bad habits we've talked about uh, of these others, I think is important. But, uh, you know, mostly it's uh, stay healthy get guys some rest and get the young guys some playing time. And I think if you do those things, uh, I think from a talent level, you know, there's, there's nothing that's just, he's not going to win these games. They're both sub 300 teams on, uh, on Ken Palm. So just, uh, just do all that, keep everybody healthy. And I think, you know, walk away feeling uh, good about the uh, non-conference. Ryan, I know you have some strong opinions on these two uh, important games. It's Austin P and Delaware state stay healthy. That's it. Yawn, move on, 
you know, and, and, and go into the big 10 and, and, and Louisville. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, look, it's Austin P and Delaware state. I, I don't think there needs to be any detailed analysis. If Indiana shows up, Indiana's going to win. Yeah, I think that is uh, that's fair to say. All right, well, let's jump into some bold predictions here, guys. And of course, uh, you listening, we want your bold predictions too. So tweet us at Assembly Call with your bold predictions for the upcoming week. So the last couple of weeks, we've only had one game to offer bold predictions for. Now we actually have three games uh, with Butler, and then of course Austin P and Delaware State. But if you try and offer bold predictions for the Austin P game and Delaware State in their week, we're not going to count them. So probably come with one for the Butler game. Come strong. Or don't come at all. Uh, let's take a quick review of last week. So last week, Ryan said that Thomas Bryant would have a double-double, and he missed that badly, uh, as Bryant had did have 13 rebounds, but only had nine points. So another terrible miss for Ryan. I was robbed on this one. <laughs> okay, let's get into this real quick. Uh, nine points and 13 rebounds. I thought this was a good bowl prediction, a double-double, you know, a solid game for Thomas Bryant. He took two shots from the field. What the hell is going on? Two shots? Uh, and he also was seven of eight from the free throw line. He makes all his free throws. I get it. I win. And and no, he missed. He rimmed out on his. He was seven for his first seven and rimmed out on his eighth. And then went one for two from the field. Come on, Thomas. What are you doing to me, man? Well, we'll see. If, hey. We'll see if you go back to the Thomas Bryant well here for your bold prediction against Butler. As as I said last week, I'm not sure that that picking an all-American level uh, 6'10 player to get a double-double against Houston Baptist was really going on a limb. So so in some way, you know, karma stepped in and, and really made sure that this uh, that Ryan didn't get this win. Yes. Now, however, choosing an elite offensive team to score 100 points against Houston Baptist, that was bold. That was a bold. Absolutely one, right? it was. <laughs> oh, yeah, Absolutely real bold there, Bottoms. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and of course, boy. Andy Andy did get his. So the first of us to actually get one of our bold predictions right is Indiana did score 100-plus points. Uh, I said Robert Johnson would score in double figures and have more assists than turnovers. He did score in double figures, but he had one assist and two turnovers, so I missed that. So the totals heading into this week, Andy is in the lead at 1-2. and two. I am 0-3. And Ryan is at 0 and 8, bringing up the rear. Uh, he's gotten some some extra credit on some of these How? misses for just how you know because when you miss and you miss with arrogance, it just doubles up on the uh, on the negative impact. That's that's all there is to say. Moving on. <laughs> All right, you're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, and we're about to give you our bold predictions for the upcoming week in Indiana basketball. And of course, I kid. Ryan is only 0 and 3. He's tied with me for last place. Uh, one and two. <laughs> All righty, uh, Ryan. We'll start with you. What is your bold I, prediction for this week? My bold prediction is that I think Indiana will beat Butler by double digits. Whether that's 10 or whether that's 20 or whatever, I think Indiana is going to have a solid win over Butler. I don't think this is coming down to the last minute. I think Indiana wins by 10 uh, at least and a solid showing and they show up and they they do what they need to do. Is this more just confidence in Indiana or something in the matchup or something with, uh, about Butler that you think that can particularly take advantage of? I I think Indiana's size and length is going to be too much for Butler, but I also think that it's just, it is confidence in Indiana. Indiana showed up to every big game so far, and it hasn't been a, a weak showing either where they show up and kind of get into the game and, and sneak out with it. They've shown up from the beginning against Kansas and North Carolina and, and played toe-to-toe with both those teams. I think it happens again, and I don't think Butler's as good as those other two teams. I think that Indiana, again, size and length is going to be huge in this. Um, 
and, and I think that then Indiana will will get it done. I just I just feel very confident in this team moving forward. There's a lot they have to clean up, but I feel like this is a very good team. And if they're motivated and they come out and they aren't flat, they'll beat who's in front of them. And, and Butler will be in front of them on Saturday. I like it. I like it. Andy, your bold prediction for Saturday. I'm assuming it'll be based on Saturday. Uh, I was I was going to give uh, really bold predictions about the uh, Austin P matchup, but <laughs> I guess I'll go a different route. Oh, Indiana's uh, going to score triple digits against a bad opponent yeah. again. Oh, uh, so so hurtful. <laughs> Just this is what people say when they're not winning. Um, <laughs> all right, so so Robert Johnson has not had a twenty point game since January of his freshman year, but that changes on Saturday. Wow, when he gives uh, when he gives Butler fits. Uh, like I said before, I think dribble penetration is an issue. I think he's shown. The ability uh, did it early against North Carolina to be able to, you know, really attack the basket there. Uh, and again, I think the the pass after the pass that we talked about, I think he's on the receiving end of a few of those from three point range. So I think uh, Rojo goes for 20 uh, against Butler, which would likely lead to Ryan's prediction being right as well, that IU would win by double digits if that ends up being true. But uh, yeah, I think IU wins. I think he has a really big game. Uh, he's got he's gotten pretty close a few times this year. You know, in the 15, 16 range, I think he uh, he steps up and has a really big game as uh, one of the leaders emerging from the uh, from the team. By the way, you know, Andy, since his freshman year, I've been remarking how closely his statistical profile is similar to Greg Graham's. And when you look now at what he's doing through his junior year, I'm, all I'm going to say is the statistical comparison continues. So, hey, I'm, I'm not going to argue with that. You're not going to you're not going to make me mad by comparing him to Greg Graham for sure. No. Not at all. Okay, uh, my bold prediction. So I looked at Indiana's last five games at Bankers Life Fieldhouse over the past couple of seasons, and the Hoosiers have shot 36.3% from three over those five games, which is about 5% less than their average over the last couple of seasons. And Butler holds opponents to 31.3% from three-point range this year. So I think Indiana's going to struggle a little bit more than they normally do from three-point range. I think they'll shoot 35% or less from three-point range, which is about 5% less than their average, but still win the game. And when you look at Indiana's games this year, the, the games that have actually mattered against teams that could beat them if they had an off night, Indiana was over 38% in both the UNC and Kansas games and won, and they shot just 29.2% against Fort Wayne. So that 35% number kind of right there in the middle, uh, not ideal for where you want Indiana to be, and a lot of times they're better than that. But based on how they've shot at Banker's Life, I think they'll struggle a little bit. But I think there is enough of an advantage inside and enough advantages elsewhere, you know, like with rebounding and with some of the other stuff that Andy talked about, that the Hoosiers will still be able to win. So I don't think it'll be double digits, Ryan, like you said. And I'm not sure Robert Johnson goes for 20-plus if Indiana's not hitting a lot of threes. Um, so... Maybe uh, it's a nice leverage play by me uh, to uh, to get one up on you guys. We'll see. But that's my bold prediction. Indiana will shoot 35% or less from three-point range and still win the game. Uh, real quick, we got about 40 seconds left. Your quick hits. Ryan, you first. Andy, you next. Should Indiana stay in the Crossroads Classic? Yes, I think so. I think it's great for basketball in the state of Indiana, and uh, it's always a good – the games always tend to end up being pretty good. Even if it keeps us from other high-profile, higher-profile national tournaments? Yes, because these teams typically wind up being ranked or being, you know, playing well. This is it's not like they're playing a cupcake in these games. They're playing Butler or Notre Dame are the two teams and they're both solid teams. If those teams drop off, then yeah, get out. But right now, uh, I think it, you got to stay. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with Ryan. I think this is the least of the things that I would complain about with the schedule. There tend to be 
teams that are really solid. And I, I would see, you know, some of what, you know, Fred Glass said about trying to find some flexibility if they need to move it around to be part of some of these other events. But, you know, all the exempt tournaments that happen are all earlier than this anyway, for the most part. And so I don't think it really prevents that. It prevents some of these other events like the one that, you know, UNC and, and Kentucky play in this weekend. So I'm all for some flexibility, but I think it's great for basketball in the state of Indiana. I think it's great for each team and, and provides another good chance at a quality win for IU year in and year out. All righty. Well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. Make sure you join us at assemblycall.com after uh, the IU-Butler game and all the rest of the games this week. Or you can subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. Our thanks to Hoosier Proud for sponsoring this episode. Go to HoosierProud.com and use the promo code AC for 15% off. And thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.